1: To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about the things that we do in our practice and the things that we learn, the arguments that we have with each other, and (laughs) we are doing something i don't know that we've ever just flat out just responded to another podcast on our own like without like inviting anybody else on but maybe a little bit late to this conversation but we know that when there's reactions to these kinds of things people will find their camps and they will fight to the death from there and of course we are talking about EMDR, we were talking about the very bad therapy. It started out as a Patreon selects, and then was released later, but episodes with Angela Naus, who had previously written an article for the Camp Therapist magazine about a clinician's skepticism about EMDR. Now, I at the time of this recording am a EMDR certified therapist through Emdria. By the time that this episode publishes, I will probably have submitted my paperwork to be an approved consultant through Emdria and so I am obviously on the, the maybe pro-EMDR side of this. Katie has <laughs> ideas and opinions.
0: Well, I'm not EMDR trained or certified or a supervisor or any of that kind of stuff. And in reading this article is kind of funny because the initial part, and, and maybe this was what uh, Carrie over at Very Bad Therapy had, had put into their title, I'm assuming, because she's their marketing whiz, but just, is it a pyramid scheme? <laughs> and so when you were saying, I, I'm turning in my, su- yeah, I'm going to be an EMDR certified supervisor, and I'm sure you're going to be trained. you've done trainings and you're, you'll are you continue to trade. I'm like, Kurt made his way to the top of the pyramid.
1: There's there's a higher part of the pyramid. I don't know that I'm necessarily going for that. but All
0: right. Okay. <laughs> so you're not at the top of the pyramid, but you certainly made your way up to a lucrative portion of the, of the pyramid. But the, the argument itself was, I think, kind of interesting because there were, were pieces around that it's only for single incident, not complex trauma, that it's now using being being used as transdiagnostic, but only proof for EMTR, that there's there's a lot of different things in the article, in the, the episode with Carrie and Ben over at Very Bad Therapy that just was talking about that it's, nobody really understands how it works, that it's a little bit woo-woo, which is kind of what I thought it was at first, and that there's such a huge expense in training in this model that people then convince themselves that it's useful. And so, for me, I'm just sitting back here, kind of entertained that somebody's poking the b- the bear, so to speak. But I also, I don't think I really agree with what's being said there, even though I'm sitting in the outside. And so, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a, the first question for you because you are.
1: Go. Uh, well, uh, I, I don't the know pyramid. if this. I, I don't know if this is one of your first questions, but a couple of the statements that you're you're making there from the beginning, like this is this huge expense sort of thing, and I think even in the breakdown that they post on their their show notes for that episode, it comes out to like thirty to thirty-five dollars for supervised hands-on practice CES where you're getting immediate feedback from people who are trained in this modality.
0: Yeah. So, so I I that wasn't my question. But let's start there. So the expense seems reasonable to me. It's an intensive training with a lot of hands-on supervision. There's a lot to learn there. There's so much support. So $30 to $35 per CE is, to me, seems pretty reasonable. Now, it's a lot of CEs. So, you know, one could argue that it's like, why do you need that many CEs? But my sense of it is that it takes that long to get fully trained in it.
1: It takes that much to get foundationally trained in it.
0: Sure, sure, sure. So, so can I get to my first question?
1: You can get to your first question, yes.
0: How does EMDR work? What is it? Let's let's start okay, with Okay, so so I'm not EMDR This is trained.
1: This is the other thing that you said at the beginning is Not you know, my
0: comments, me just reporting other people's comments.
1: <laughs> of the statements that have been made by people not me on this podcast so far.
0: <laughs> all right, all right.
1: Whether the origin, and this is something where, okay, there's an inherent problem in studying the mechanisms for how EMDR works. The prevailing belief is that the bilateral stimulation tends to overwhelm the working memory, of which might be holding back some of the trauma that people are holding on to. And that by going through this structure and overwhelming working memory through eye movements or other bilateral stimulation, that that is believed to be the mechanism of change. Now, it's problematic to study this because we can't just like cut people's brains open and mess around with working memory in order to do this. But that is sometimes the criticisms that we see as far as there's there's no known reason why this works sorts of things. But I mean, it's 2023. Scientists also don't fully have an explanation for how bicycles work. So we, you know, I'll admit, we don't have the the full description of like, okay, here's why it works. We know what we do know is that it at least works some of the time. And there's some major organizations who are like, yeah, this is at least conditionally approved for certain kinds of treatments.
0: Okay. So in that explanation, that was very quick. I'm going to try to report back what I heard. <laughs> that we need to overcome working memory through some sort of eye movement or bilateral stimulation to get to stuff behind the working memory
1: okay so let me let me take a, a step back here okay. you're you're asking for what is essentially 40 plus hours of ces that i'm going to try and and do in a minute and okay. we'll link to something in our show notes that kind of explains this uh, slightly more in-depth than what I'm talking about here. EMDR is an eight-phase protocol. It is, at the broadest steps, phase one, introduction to EMDR, building rapport with clients, talking about how the approach works. Okay. Phase two, working on grounding skills, being able to Uh, have distress tolerance skills, and other theories might call it other sorts of things. But it's working on the skills as well as starting to go through and develop an idea of what the targets are and how those connect to negative cognitions and emotions that people have with them.
0: Okay, so I've heard this called resourcing and then target setting or something?
1: Yes, yes. Phase three is the preparation for going into reprocessing, and it's being able to take a target, pairing it with a negative cognition, talking about the emotions that it has, as well as the body sensations that somebody is having in the moment as they think about the target or the target memory. Phases four, five, and six work on reprocessing the old memory that's phase four and that's where the introduction of the bilateral stimulation the eye movements or in your words the woo woo stuff ends up happening
0: okay that's where the magic happens
1: <laughs> no 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 the magic happens back in phase two but okay. uh, so and, and so i think that resourcing
0: that's is the magic
1: <laughs> resourcing and history taking and that kind of stuff. Yeah. The, the things the, that
0: are in every other therapy modality. The,
1: the things that people skip over to get to the, like, all right, here's, here's me waving my fingers in your face sort of thing. Got it. But,
0: Got it. So the phase two, that's like every other therapy, mm-hmm. process, every, every therapy model. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, continue.
1: Phases five and six is installing a new cognition in looking at the old memory And then phase eight is a future template or a future target sort of application of this. So the next time that you feel this negative cognition, how do you want to feel instead? And being able to install that in the future. Phase seven is... All right, we're not going to get through all of this stuff in a session. So here's how we pause where we're at and save this for later. Um, So it's... It's just the 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 save point. It's the respawn point for coming back the next session.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. And phase
1: eight. Phase eight is that future template sort of okay. thing. That
0: okay. Got it.
1: Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out of network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions, and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thryser links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryser manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf.
0: They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryser.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. So one of the arguments that Angela Nas said was that it's basically kind of a hodgepodge of other theories. And the only thing different about EMDR is the bilateral stimulation or eye movement.
1: I subscribe to the idea that EMDR is the greatest hits of the other theories.
0: Ah, okay. Greatest hits. So it's like, hey, we're we're taking from everywhere, but only the good stuff
1: yes, here is the parts that work from these other theories put together. It is... I I see where she might be coming from on an argument like this. I'm maybe just stating it in a more positive way, but (laughs) yeah, it does have a lot of overlap with a lot of other theories. There are positive and negative cognitions. There are the opportunities for free association. There is... The practical skill building techniques, There's, um, depending on the types of protocols that you're using or the frame that you're building around EMDR, there's parts work sorts of aspects that can be brought in. I don't disagree with her. I'm just not presenting it in a way that's dismissive. I think it's a great organized way of taking what might be called eclectic and putting it in a way that works.
0: Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I think the the reason that she put it that way was that the only differences are the bilateral stimulation or eye, eye movement. And if that's what makes EMDR unique and that mechanism mechanism of action is difficult to actually prove that it is doing something or that it's more effective than not doing it. I think there's that element of it's really hard to prove that EMDR is better than other treatment modalities. And that's kind of how she frames that folks say that EMDR is the best because it's better than every other modality. And I know you have argued that that's not the case. EMDR has its place. But I think there's that element of if that's the only difference and it can't be proven because we can't cut somebody's brain open and it relies on neuroscience and we have a whole... (laughs) whole episode on neuroscience around why uh, just adding brain scans make people believe it's more uh, effective. I think that's that's the argument that I think is pretty interesting because when people describe EMDR, I'm like, I do all of that except for waving my hands or bilateral assimilation or whatever. Okay.
1: I think it's really important when I hear people having these arguments to be like, what flavor of EMDR are you doing? Because... Mm-hmm. I think that when it comes to the Mdria standards about how EMDR gets trained, mm-hmm. MDRIA standards are phases three through six need to be taught the exact same way. Phases one, two, and eight can be taught differently depending on the trainer. And those have to be kind of, you know, a- approved by Mdria, but there's a lot of difference from one training place to the next on how one, two, and eight are taught. okay. And so I find that some places are just like, let's get to phase four as fast as absolutely possible. Mm-hmm. And I see that as being something where this starts to break apart where I think a lot of people get told and it's a it's a pervasive kind of presentation two people in our field is that it's the EMDR model that works. Mm-hmm. And I will I will argue against that, that I think that, and that's why it gets compared head-to-head against CBT so much, is that it's the protocol that works. But I think that this is really where the individual factors of the clinician, as well as their approaches, especially where I mentioned earlier, the magic of EMDR happens in phase two, not in in the hand-waving sorts of things or not in the light bar sorts of things. But as compared to CBT, in my perspective on things, CBT done by bad therapists can still yield pretty good results. And CBT done by good CBT therapists can get really good results. EMDR done by bad therapists can go really wrong. And EMDR done by good therapists can go really, really well. And so there's a lot more clinician factors than I think are really embraced in this. And I think that a lot of just trying the early research around EMDR was kind of this head-to-head thing against CBT. But I think we're starting to see more research coming out, at least anecdotally, that, yeah, there's a lot more clinician factors involved to this than it just being like, all right, here's the manual, start reading from phase one on the top of this page and go through this and then your clients will be fixed by you just kind of doing sets of reprocessing.
0: So when we're talking about all of these clinician factors and really describing it more as there's the art of therapy and there's the, I guess I'll just say clinician factors again, how does... an organization like MDRIA protect against bad EMDR practitioners, because if if bad EMDR practitioners can at best not help and at worst provide harm, it seems like there needs to be more p- consumer protections around someone being able to use EMDR.
1: One of the things that Andrea is doing is they have, over the last several years, rewritten the requirements to become certified and to become an approved consultant as far as specific steps that need to be done and approved by your consultants. Now, this is where I am kind of shocked when, like, the deliberate practice people in particular are the ones who argue against this because. What Andrea is doing is they are making deliberate practice part of the certification process and beyond. They're making it to where sessions have to be reviewed and this kind of stuff. Now, this gets poo-pooed as like, well, this is all part of the, you know, pyramid scheme sort of thing where you have to pay like uh, pay a more. consultant to do this. And I'm always like, well, how do the deliberate practice people get paid? Are they just like out there like <laughs> freely giving away all of their time? What kind of privileged bullshit is that? Like it takes time. It takes expense. But I think that this is something where, all right, we're actually making it. If you want to go out and get certified, that you actually have to record sessions and have them be reviewed by the consultant in order to make that step.
0: I think that seems fair. I, I think it does start adding to cost. And, and of course, it's going to. Um, but just saying we, we shouldn't do something because it costs too much, even though it's really, really good, I think is always wrong. <laughs> I think there there are systemic things that maybe as a profession we can do to make being, coming in and maintaining good, therapy stat, good therapist status more accessible. But that's not the point of this conversation. This conversation is really like the complaint about the cost is short-sighted because this is a full-on, very extensive training that will allow someone to hopefully, do very good work. Um, I mean, I think b- beyond the scope of this conversation is somebody saying they're EMDR trained versus EMDR, EMDR certified. I think potentially that's an EMDRia I- situation where they have to really market to the public that somebody needs to be certified versus trained to be able to put a EMDR on their website. But I think there's that element of of, to me, the bad EMDR therapist, so to speak, make it really hard for those of us who don't know much about it to feel hopeful about it as a, as a modality.
1: Well, and I, as a consultant in training, I see people who have no interest in pursuing certification, but they continue to go and get trained on things. And this again comes down to individual factors that are like, I've seen some people who are foundationally trained in EMDR who are really good EMDR therapists. And I've seen people who jump through a lot of the necessary requirements to become certified who are still pretty bad therapists. Okay. So
0: saying that this is a problem we can't solve.
1: It's a problem that you and I have talked about is inherent within our field. Like, oh, (laughs) here's a certification that's going to make me more marketable. Like, that's, it's not unique to EMDR. And it's also not something that EMDR is really different as far as anything else like it's a problem about attaining certification sorts of things yeah the next piece of what i want to respond to out of what you're talking to here is that you can the the bad people doing it is also the people who are doing it poorly also is reflective uh, on a number of different things i see this like people who don't start doing EMDR quick enough after they're trained tend to then do something that's EMDR flavored, but just because it's something that they haven't had the practical practice with. And I I really try to encourage people after their part one training, like you can start doing EMDR and work with your consultants on questions that you have while you're doing it. Deliberate practice steps, sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of uncertainty that some people tend to develop. Well, I'm I'm not trained enough yet, and I need to be fully trained before I even you know breathe this. And I think it's the lack of confidence in themselves that ends up translating to like the first moment that EMDR doesn't go as specifically planned as they have set they tend to revert back to where safety is, which it might be other theoretical things that they end up doing. So it might be like, oh, EMDR didn't start working in phase two, so now I got to jump to CBT because that's where I'm, I'm comfortable. So part of this is really just kind of clinician development. And then lastly to this point is I've also seen people in consultation and in some of the trainings that I help run the practicums and these kinds of things Clinicians who are later career, who are just really set in their ways, who don't kind of take the step back to be able to learn a new theory in and of itself that just kind of tend to operate from, well, I know these other things, and therefore I'm going to do those other things on top of EMDR that makes it not EMDR. And. Uh. Even going back to my own initial training in this, some of my frustrations as a consultee and kind of my foundational things was like, I work very personally within a lot of sessions and uh, have focus a lot on the relational aspect sorts of things. And I brought up, I'm like, where do I fit into treatment in EMDR? And my consultant at the time was like, it comes in. There's kind of a skeleton that you have to embrace first, and then you get to kind of finish filling in how EMDR is with you while doing these things consistently. And that took some time to develop, too. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered.
0: Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. So it's, it's an intensive model, it is something where you have to do deliberate practice in order to be able to say you've been trained in it, it sounds like. And there's this element of needing to unlearn slash relearn how you show up if you're wanting to do kind of adherent EMDR. And so to me, i i can I can see all of that. That's I think we've we've made those points. the the, the next objection that came from this article slash podcast was really around, Single incident versus complex trauma or and or trans diagnostic use. And so the argument, and I'm not saying this is my argument, but the argument that was put forward was that EMDR has been researched on single incident trauma and is being used for complex trauma and for other stuff. Like I, I saw somebody saying, you know, something advertising something about EMDR for entrepreneurs. <laughs> And so I I want to to kind of hear your thoughts on this because to me it does seem like there are, there are points at which each model that has strong followers uh or or participants I don't know the right word um gets to a place where they're like and it works for everything and everyone and I'm going to do it all the time and and I know that's not your stance but but I'd love to hear your thoughts on what EMDR actually works for
1: the Basis for single incident trauma is well-researched and is approved by places even like the American Psychological Association. Mm -hmm. So, not going to spend a ton of time on that. It works. Complex PTSD is something where some clinicians are going to struggle with it a whole bunch. Relational aspects of things... This isn't necessarily even, I've done some trainings with Laurel Parnell, she's attachment focused EMDR is kind of the underpinnings of what she does. That is geared pretty well to being able to deal with things like relational trauma aspects. From there, it's just a matter of being able to set the targets in the correct sort of way and being able to respond to them. Other protocols that are out there that I've used to some degree or another involves parts work, which, you know, some of the parts work out there, if you're familiar with internal family systems, is it's got some similarities to that. Other parts work isn't just necessarily IFS planted on EMDR sorts of things. Yeah, there are totally going to be people who are excited about things that are like, I'm going to try this on everybody for everything. And I'll admit that not every clinical presentation needs EMDR. And that is something where the mismanagement of individual practitioners who go out and do things does not necessarily change what the basis is for those cases where it actually is supposed to work. You know, if I go out and I'm like, oh, your car has a flat tire. Have we tried to CBT? That doesn't make CBT bad. It makes it to where it's the misapplication of CBT.
0: So I'll, I'll repeat the question so we get to the actual question I asked, which is, what does it work for?
1: It works for trauma. Okay. It, it works for trauma in the way that the clinician and the client set it up together. I've done, personally, single incident trauma. I've done complex trauma. I've seen the benefit out of it mm-hmm. is that going to be the same as everybody else absolutely not i've done it for recent traumas things that have happened you know a few days prior to treatments i've done it for stuff that happened decades and decades ago and again i think that that's something where sure i've invested a lot into my training and education on this kind of stuff i don't do it with all of my clients I see that there's a utility of EMDR. Sometimes that doesn't even include eye movements. It's just the structure of the ways that phases one, two, and three work. And is there overlap with other theories in there? Totally. I think that it's just kind of where the absolute rote following of the protocols in some of the research treatments make it to where it's not going to work for everybody, that there are definitely clinician factors that come into this.
0: Okay. I mean, to me, it, it seems like we, we consistently go back to do good therapy and yes. don't hold too strongly to a model because a model is just that. It's a model that potentially will work, but, you know, kind of just following it exactly to the letter isn't necessarily always beneficial for every single client. And so, yes, learn the model as you're supposed to, but learn also where it doesn't apply.
1: The metaphor that I have used since completing my foundational training is the foundational training is learning how to play the keys on the piano. The further education and the practice and the consultations that go along after that is learning how to play jazz there's frustration that i think that i hear from a lot of people who criticize emdr even those who have been trained is that but playing the keys on the piano doesn't make a good song
0: that's <laughs> a very interesting uh interesting metaphor did you know that i actually was in the jazz band and played piano uh, i did not I in, in junior high <laughs> yeah i was horrible like i was trying to you know like i was fine i was i was more of a this is how you play a song, not this is how you improvise on the piano. And so it's interesting because I'm going to expand that metaphor a little bit based on my lived experience as a jazz pianist at a very young age. So not very good anyway, but like playing the keys is noise. Playing the keys in the right order is a song. Being able to improvise within the structure of the keys and that kind of stuff is jazz and so i think folks who have learned very little learn how to play the keys but it's just noise people that have taken a little bit more actually done some of the deliberate practice know how to play a song but to actually be able to improvise and use it on things that are a little bit out of the the single incident trauma that requires the skill level to be able to improvise as jazz
1: And even sight-read as jazz sorts of things. Like, I don't know. We can make this a piano-jazz episode, but... (laughs) We would love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, You can share those with us on our social media. You can join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group. And if you like the things that we talk about and want to support us in other ways, please consider becoming a patron. We have discussions sometimes with our patrons that lead to episodes, and we always love your input. You can also support us on Buy Me A Coffee. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whitelm with Katie Vernoy. Remember to check out Thrizer. They are passionate about making out of network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thriser.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code moderntherapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions.
0: Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.
1: Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.